0: have you ever considered how much of your life consists of listening? Of listening. And by listening, I don't only only mean hearing things like you are right now. That is listening. But instead, consider how much of your and my life consists of hearing and seeing information, words, and taking it in. Whether we're listening just in everyday conversation, or we're listening to lyrics and music, or we're listening to talk radio, or we're reading a whole book, or we're just reading an article, or we're just scrolling on social media. All of that can be considered listening. It's taking in information. And think about how often you and I do that. But not only that, think about how much your and my life consists of responding to whatever we're listening to. We're not only listeners, but we're responders. And what we listen to affects us. It it changes us. So we're listeners and responders almost all the time. God made us this way. And that brings us to our passage here in John chapter 6. We're picking up where we left off a few months ago in the Gospel of John. And I wanted to start off by talking about listening and responding, because we're going to see that emphasis in our text. We're going to see people listen to Jesus in his words, and then we're going to see two main responses to Christ. The first response, people listen, but then for different reasons, they don't really want him, and eventually a lot of them just walk away. The other response is people listen, and they want him, and it changes them for the better. And this emphasis on words and listening and responding makes a whole lot of sense in the gospel of John as a whole too. If you remember a long time ago when we were in John 1, 1, Jesus is called there the word. In the beginning was the word. And so what that means is Jesus isn't only our God and savior, that's true, but Jesus is the word, the ultimate message. Message. The ultimate thing to be listened to and responded to. And so today we're going to be hearing from the word himself and his words. And we're going to see examples of different responses. And so maybe the question for us to start asking, even as we begin, is, okay, well, how do I respond to Jesus? How do I receive the word? Where does he fit into my listening life? But one last thing before we dig into the text, here's a brief outline of our time together if this is helpful. So we're going to be going verse by verse through the passage, but we're going to split up our passage into four sections, four sections depending on who's talking to who. So our first section is that we're going to see Jesus' words to a large group of disciples. That's our first section, it's the largest one, and it's Jesus' words to a large group of followers and disciples. Our second section, then, is going to be Jesus' words to just the 12 disciples. Our third section, then, is going to be Peter's response to all of this. And our last one is going to be Jesus' response to Peter. I can't remember it all. That's okay. But basically, it's Jesus to a big group, Jesus to the 12. Peter's response, Jesus' response. And throughout it all, we're going to see an emphasis on Jesus' words, how people respond. And importantly, we're going to see Jesus tell us, why people respond the way that they do. And so with that said, we're first going to start with Jesus' words to a large group of disciples. And here, just to give it away in advance, we're going to see people respond negatively to Jesus. We're going to begin by reading verse 60. So if you want to look down at your Bibles, verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? This introduces our passage, this is coming after chapter 6, at the end of chapter 6, which if you remember is a long discourse from Jesus where he calls himself the bread of life. And its emphasis there is over and over, you need to come to me for eternal life. You need to come to me and eat so you can have life. And so what's their response to this? It's a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Notice the emphasis on words, even this one verse. When the disciples heard it, they said, they responded, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And literally that word for saying there in that verse is the same exact word for the word word, which is what Jesus is called in John 1. So they're saying this is a hard word. So simply they're responding to Jesus' words and Jesus himself. And they're beginning to think This is hard to accept. This is this is just hard. There's other ideas out there. There's other other avenues that are easier. Most beliefs and most people will just try tell you to try to be as good as you can be. But this, this all about Jesus stuff, making it all about him, it's just hard. But before we move on to see Jesus' response to that, there's one more thing I want to point out from verse 60, which applies to all of us in this room. Notice, who is saying that it's hard in verse 60? It's not just the crowd, but, quote-unquote, many of his disciples. It's interesting, because all up to John 6, up to this point, Jesus has been talking to, quote-unquote, the crowd, which included many followers, but many people who weren't followers. But here, it's his disciples, a large group of disciples, people who had committed themselves to following this rabbi. These aren't skeptics, these are followers. People like you and me, but now they're just starting to think, this is just getting hard, it's difficult. And they're contemplating leaving, and tragically, as we'll see, many of them do. So, what is Jesus' response? Honestly, not what we'd expect. Not what we'd expect. He doesn't seem to make it easier. So, let's continue to see Jesus' response, verses 61 through 64. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. So in verse 61, Jesus knows what's going on. And so what does he say in response? Essentially three things here. First, you see in verses 61 and 62, he asks, do you take offense? And then he says, well, well, then what if you're to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? In other words, he's saying, if you think this is all hard, where I'm making eternal life all about me, then what are you going to do when you see me literally rise and go back up to heaven? But he doesn't stop there. In verse 63, he cuts even more to the point. And he tells them why they're having such trouble believing. He says, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. In other words, you can't do this on your own strength. You can't. You need the spirit of God to understand my words. But he doesn't even stop there. What's his response? His third response cuts straight to the point. In verse 64 where he says, but there are some of you... Who do not believe and this is jarring because again he's talking to quote-unquote disciples and he looks at them and says some of you don't actually believe then in a parenthetical statement there you see the gospel writer john adds that jesus knew from the beginning that some weren't going to believe and that's to show that this didn't take him by surprise He knew people would take offense. He knew people would rely on their flesh. And so he says, some of you don't actually believe. Now we'll come back and apply all that, but that's still not it for this section on Jesus' words to the large group of disciples. And I want us to keep going because I want us to feel the weight of Jesus' words. See, if Jesus' words to the large group of disciples were to just end there, we'd probably be a little surprised, but I don't think we'd be shocked. But what Jesus says to them to end the conversation is shocking. It's honestly not how you and I would probably end a conversation with somebody who's sitting on the fence. But it's how Jesus does. So let's read it, verse 65. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father this is why, you see that there, this is why connects back to what Jesus said in verse 64. Jesus says, some of you don't believe. This is why I said to you, you cannot come unless it's granted by the Father. Some of you don't believe. This is why I said you cannot come unless it's granted by the Father. You don't believe? That's why I said you need to be granted by the Father. And so think about this paragraph so far. Jesus sees people stumbling over his words, and so what does he do? He seems to give them more reason for offense. I mean, he tells them that your flesh isn't helping at all. And then he says, some of you don't actually believe. And then amazingly, to end the conversation, he says, the reason why you don't believe is because you weren't granted by the Father. This is why you don't believe, because you haven't been granted by the Father. And with that, the conversation's over. And as a result, many people leave. Verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many of the disciples turned back. And so again, this is shocking, isn't it? If Jesus' main goal, think of it this way, if Jesus' main goal was just to get people to confess him, or to just stick with him, then he's doing a terrible job. (laughs) A terrible job. I mean, these people left partly because of the hard things that he said. So apparently, mere numbers is not his goal. So the question we have to ask is, what's going on here, Jesus? (laughs) What are you doing? Why would you say those things to them? Well, since it's recorded in your word, why do you say those things to us? This is where we'll apply it. I think he says those things to them and to us for two reasons. For two reasons. So why does Jesus talk like this? The first reason is apparently Jesus really wants his followers to be true followers. Apparently Jesus wants his followers to be true followers. That, I believe, is the best explanation for why he talks so strongly like this. And this is like the Jesus we know from other stories, from other places in the Gospels. I mean, think of the rich young ruler who initiates the conversation with Jesus. And Jesus ends the conversation by saying, you go sell all that you have and then come and follow me. Or think about other people who seem to be sort of on the fence. And Jesus says to them, let the dead go bury their own dead. You come follow me. Jesus says strong things like this because apparently he doesn't merely want nominal followers, people who follow him just in name or just for his benefits, but don't really want him. So he'll ask the hard questions. He'll say strong things to make us consider why we believe, why we say we're following. And to be clear, this is kindness from Jesus. This is loving of him to do it. It'd be unkind of him to let people think they were following when he knew that, he, that they didn't really want much to do with him. And so here's where we'll apply this. He might, he might be lovingly doing that to you this morning. His kindness might be directing you to analyze why you're here, why you say you follow Jesus, why do you come to church. So I encourage you to take time to analyze why You follow him. So that's the first reason I think Jesus says it, because he really wants his followers to be true followers. You see this in the way he talks generally in such a strong way. But then when you look at the specifics of what he said, what he specifically said, we see a second reason. So why does Jesus talk like this? The second reason. Well, apparently Jesus wants anyone who does follow him to feel utterly dependent on God for the ability to do so. Jesus wants anyone who does follow him to feel utterly dependent on God for the ability to do so. I think this this has to be the point, because we see Jesus emphasize this three times in this short paragraph. The first we saw, if you remember, verse 63, he says it negatively when he says, the flesh is no help at all. That's him putting it bluntly. And just to be clear, Jesus here is not talking about our sinful nature when he uses the word flesh. That's how the Apostle Paul uses the word flesh a lot. That's not how John or Jesus are using it here. Instead, he's just talking about flesh meaning your humanity. And we know that's true because think of John 1, where John writes the word became flesh. Jesus didn't become sinful, he became a human being. And so when Jesus says your flesh is no help at all, he's saying your humanness, your body, your resolve, your ability to make choices or decisions or actions on its own, no help at all in following me. So apparently he wants us to feel utterly dependent on God. But you see it again in that same verse, second emphasis, he says it's the spirit who gives life. God himself, the Spirit, the Spirit uses his words, but if you're going to follow or have life, the Spirit needs to do it. And the third emphasis, we already saw it, most emphatic of all, at the end of the conversation when he says, no one can come to me unless it's granted by the Father. Why would you end a conversation like that unless he clearly wants his disciples, his followers, that's us, brothers and sisters, to be totally aware that we can't come We can't believe, we can't follow unless it's granted by the Father. We can't do it on our own. We're that weak. We need God from beginning to end. God himself must do it in us. Yes, we listen. Yes, we respond. Yes, we seek to follow him. We obey, we pray, we seek to love people. We read our Bibles, but it must be God in us so he gets all the glory. And so that's the first and longest section, Jesus's words to the large group of disciples. Which brings us to our next section. It's just one verse. And now Jesus is going to address the 12 disciples. And this verse is really helpful because it provides clarity into why people left and why people still leave Jesus today or why people still deny Jesus today. Because up to this point, as you've been listening, perhaps you've had some good questions in your head, right? Like, what but Jesus still, what does it look like when people leave? Or really, why are they leaving? Or a common question, a good question, is if okay, Jesus, if verse 65 is true and it has to do with being granted, isn't that unfair? Jesus helps us in one simple verse, verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And so in the paragraph above, Jesus gives the ultimate reason why people left and why people believe. It needs to be granted by the Father. They need the Spirit. But here he looks at it from a different angle. From a different angle. He's talking to his disciples, and as he often does with his disciples, he clarifies what happened. And so what happened? Simply put, left wanted to leave. The people who left wanted to leave. It's a simple word for want. It just means want or desire or will. Simply put, they just wanted to go away. They were not forced to leave. They wanted to go elsewhere. Perhaps other teachers sounded better. Other things in that moment were just way more appealing. Or they just didn't want to stay with this humbling, hard to hear rabbi. Whatever it was, they wanted to go elsewhere. And that's the answer to why verse 65 about granting isn't unfair. At the end of the day, people are doing what they want. It's true. God does grant belief, verse 65, but let's be clear. It's never that people want to follow Jesus but aren't granted. That would be unfair. It's not that people are chained to a wall saying, I want to follow, I want to follow, but God's not releasing them. Instead, God lets people have what they want. And all of us by nature don't want to follow Jesus. That's the issue. That's why God needs to change hearts. And so that's why this simple question from Jesus to his disciples and to us is so helpful. Jesus doesn't ask, Are you granted to come by the Father? He could have, but he didn't. Instead, he makes it simple Do you want to go away like them? Or do you want to stay? It's a question of want. And so as you're listening to Jesus' words right now, as, as you've been listening this morning, as we've been singing songs and praying, the perhaps the simplest question to ask is, do you want to follow Jesus? In your heart, not only in your mind, do you want to stick with him? Do you really want other things? Just having a perfect family or better looks or a lot more money or a lot of free time Do all those things sound better? That's why Jesus is spot on with the question: Do you want? The question is not: Have you signed a card or have you agreed to be a disciple? Remember, these were disciples. Instead, the question is: Do you want him? Do you want to stick with him? Do you want to keep listening to him? Do you love him? Which leads perfectly now to our third section. This is Peter's response to Jesus. It's a beautiful response. So Jesus asked the 12, do you want to go away as well? We get Peter's beautiful response, verses 68 and 69. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And that, brothers and sisters, is what it looks like to want Jesus from the heart. See, what makes this passage so special is that first, Jesus gives us the ultimate reasons, okay? You need the spirit, you need to be granted by the Father. And then he takes it down to the level of want, everything, something we can all understand. But the Bible doesn't stop there. And then the Bible gives us an example of what this looks like. Peter says, to whom shall we go? In other words, who am I going to go to? Where am I going to go, Jesus? How could they compare with you? Then he gives a bunch of affirmations. You have the words of eternal life. We believe, we trust in you. We know you're from God. Yes, so many other people are leaving. Yes, Jesus' words are not easy. In fact, Jesus' words here are quite confusing. I'm sure Peter felt all of that but he still was able to say, yes, Lord, I want to stay with you. I want to keep listening to you. I trust you. I want eternal life in you. I want you. Peter doesn't say he totally understands everything. But in hearing from Jesus and following Jesus, he's found what he wants. And he wants Jesus. So do you feel something like that welling up in your heart? This desire for Jesus won't be perfect. It won't lead you to being sinless. We know Peter himself went on to struggle, but it is a genuine desire in the heart. It's a recognition of the gospel of the good news. Like Peter says, you have the words of eternal life. It's a trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins because of what he did on the cross. And it's a where else should I go type of desire. Is that you right now? If it is, then pray to God. Verse 65, he granted it. If not, I would encourage you to pray to God because we do know from this text that God changes hearts and can work in hearts. We know he can and we know he does it all the time. This room is full of people who can testify To the fact that one time, we didn't really care much about Jesus at all. But now, by the grace of God alone, we do. And so I pray you feel that desire welling up in your heart, even at this very moment. Which finally leads to our final section, to end the story, to end the chapter. And this is Jesus' final response to Peter. But before you look down, I usually don't do this, before you even read it, I would like to ask you to think Okay, how do you think that Jesus would respond to Peter? How do you think Jesus would respond to Peter? Because remember, so many people have left. A lot of people have left. So Jesus asks the twelve, and he says to them, do you want to go away? And Peter doesn't only say no, he gives this beautiful statement of faith. And so how do you think Jesus would respond? Maybe something like, good job, Peter. (laughs) Or, thank you, Peter. Or at least... That's right, Peter. None of that. (laughs) See what Jesus says, verses 70 and 71. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So again, Jesus surprises us. Peter's wonderful display of faith. And what's Jesus' response? Did I not choose you? One theologian, one commentator on this text put it like this. He said, Jesus positions the sovereign work of God on both sides of Peter's faith. I think that's right. On the one side, verse 65, needs to be granted to come. Then it's Peter's faith. And on the other side, did I not choose you? And this is similar to Peter's other really famous confession of faith, too, in the Gospel of Matthew that you might know about. Jesus there asked his disciples, who do people say that I am, disciples? And Peter's the one who gives the right answer. And he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what's Jesus' response to Peter there? Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So there, like here, Peter, my Father granted you that confession of faith. And so once again, so it is for us, brothers and sisters. I do think the main application for you to ask yourself is, do I want Jesus? But Jesus won't let us end there. He emphasizes again, if you do want him, then praise God. It's all part of God's sovereign work. But that does bring us to the last few lines of the chapter. Perhaps you noticed that Jesus doesn't only say that to Peter, but then he adds to the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil. So How can that be? Here we get into a little mystery, a little biblical mystery, because here we see that Jesus not only chose the twelve and that God granted their faith, but Jesus says he also chose Judas to betray him as well. And at this point, I think we're supposed to just get the idea, okay, well, he's got it. Jesus is in control. Because up to this point, maybe in the story we've started to think, he's lost control. So many people are left. He doesn't know what's going on. He's lost control. But no. He's in control. He has a plan. And he has planned to be betrayed by Judas and go to the cross. As he's about to say, a few chapters later, he says, I lay down my life for my sheep. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. So that's our text. Many people find Jesus' words hard, and it seems that Jesus makes it even harder in some ways. Many people leave. Why? Because they wanted to leave, but some stay. Like Peter, who essentially cries out, I want to stay with you. I have eternal life in you. I trust you. But even then, Jesus says, I chose you, Peter. But he didn't only choose Peter. He also chose Judas to betray him. Why? Because Jesus is going to the cross. And So now that we've listened to Jesus' word i like us to close then with some possible responses. One possible response to those of you here who maybe feel like, okay, maybe I'm not a believer. Maybe I don't really want Jesus. And then three responses to those of us who by God's grace do want Christ. So first, the possible response to unbelievers. And after hearing that, I would just encourage you if you're here this morning to compare Christ to all the other voices and options that you're listening to in this world. And then to really consider, are they really working? Are they really worth it? Are they really any better? As we know from this text, Jesus offers us eternal life. But not only that, love and infinite purpose. And so I'd ask you to consider Christ this morning. I want you to know that this passage, John chapter 6, is the culmination of a story of the bread of life where Jesus is asking anyone to come. Anyone to come. And so perhaps you're feeling God work in your heart this morning and perhaps a possible response for you is maybe for the first time ever to really trust Jesus Christ this morning. Finally then, three quick responses to those of us who by God's grace do want Jesus. And the first response is humility. Humility especially towards those who are unbelievers. And I say that because Jesus made this point About salvation being from God over and over. It's not us. We have to be humble. If other people aren't saved, or other people aren't living according to Christian morals in the culture, we can't be prideful. It's all of grace. Apart from that, we're no different. First responsibility, Second response, let's give God the glory for salvation. That's the obvious application, I think, from this passage. Give God the glory for any Peter-like faith you have. For he granted it, verse 65. And then our third response, we'll end where we started. If you are a Christian here, meaning by God's grace you want Jesus, then why not make it a goal to listen to Jesus' words more and more In 2020. I mean, Jesus said in this passage that his words are spirit and life. Peter's the one who cried out that you have the words of eternal life. And as we said, we're all listening all the time. So why not intentionally listen to Jesus more this year? Think about how you're going to do it. Read the Bible, of course, more, or read good Christian books about the Bible. Or listen to sermons or podcasts in the car, or join a small group here at the church. We'd love for you to do that. Or memorize parts of the Bible, or intentionally talk about the Bible with your family or friends. All to immerse yourself more in Jesus' words. Especially as we began a new year this week, why not make that a goal in 2020? And so that's our text, brothers and sisters, but more importantly, this is our God. A God who grants eternal life and changes hearts. What a gracious God we have. Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we do praise you for who you are. Thank you that you are more gracious than we could ever fathom. That though your words sometimes are not easy, they are always loving, always kind, and always gracious. So I pray, Christ, first and foremost, for anyone here who might not really know you or doesn't really trust you, that Christ, you may show them how wonderful you are, how good your gospel is, how satisfying you are, and that they may trust in you even right now. And Christ, for those of us who by your grace alone do trust you, we praise you. We thank you for how good you are to us, how lovely you are, and help us to follow you more and more. It's in your good name we pray. Amen.